This is episode 262 of the AWS podcast, released on September 9th, 2018. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lisha here with you. Great to have you back, and I'm joined by a very special guest today. I'm joined by Alex Wood. Alex is a software development engineer, or SDE as we call them internally, for our Ruby SDK for AWS. So welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here. Now, I have to admit to being a past user of the Ruby SDK uh, in its first iteration and also its second, but I think we're up to version three now. So maybe uh, let's step back and, and contextualize what is the AWS Ruby SDK, Alex? What's it for? Sure. So on the SDK team here at AWS, we actually maintain official SDKs for Java, .NET, Ruby, Python, JavaScript, Go, and PHP. We also maintain the AWS CLI, and all of these tools exist as a way to more easily integrate with AWS services. Uh, You can just treat all of these API calls as just another function within your application. And that's a good point because I mean, you know, everything in AWS is driven through APIs, and you can you can go as low level as you want. But let's face it, who wants to write super low level code? These SDKs really provide the quick and easy plug into the APIs themselves, but also then some some higher value services that we'll talk about later. But maybe let's talk from a practicality perspective, from a Ruby perspective, because I know we have a lot of listeners who use and love Ruby how this SDK serves their purposes, and I'm going to pre, pre-pose something I want you to cover for sure, which is the mo- new modularity in the current version as well. So, so hit us about how that works. Well, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned that you were a user of version two of the Ruby SDK. So yep. one nice thing about version three is it's actually quite easy to upgrade as the code is actually 100% compatible. So, uh-huh. so drop in. in many cases, all you have to change is your dependencies. But then what we get into is modularization. So at this point, you know, every time I've uh, had a conversation about the number of services we have, starts with over 60, over 70, over 100. Uh, <laughs> I will fully admit I've started to lose track. I think we're getting close to 150. But something um, something like that. And then by the time you listen to this, I could be behind. (laughs) It could be more, yeah. (laughs) But uh, most customers aren't going to be using every single service, or at least not right out of the gate. So modularization allows you to pick and choose only the SDKs that you need. So if you use S3 for file storage, and then if you use Amazon DynamoDB as your database and you don't happen to use anything else, then you can only you could pull in only those clients and then you're good to go. And if you add other services in your application later, you can always add those to your dependency chain as well. So, so what is that mechanism? For, is, it, is that something I'm configuring in my gem file or how am I controlling which services get added as part of that, that SDK uh, inclusion? Sure. So the same as in version two, if you require the AWS SDK gem version three, you get everything. Uh, I did an installation today and installed 150 total gems, which is a big number. So the other thing you can do is you can require AWS SDK S3 
or AWS SDK DynamoDB. And it pulls in those service clients and everything else you need to run those. So that makes it nice and, and modular. And let's talk a bit about, I guess, the the use of it. So there are some some efficiencies in the SDK that make it easy to do credential management and that sort of stuff. And obviously, you know, we want customers to be using temporary credentials wherever possible to to use vendor credentials, which uh, is is a security best practice, but is probably harder than in the quote unquote old days where people just sort of kind of hard code some credentials in and call it good, which it is not. Um, maybe let's talk about how the SDK makes it easy to use credentials. Sure. I would actually say in some ways it's gotten easier now than in the days when you were hard coding credentials. So I've done a number of workshops about using Ruby on AWS at both AWS reInvent and at conferences like RailsConf. And if I'm spinning up an EC2 instance in the course of my demonstration, it's quite simple to say, give that EC2 instance an identity and access management role. And the constructor for the SDK doesn't need to know anything about credentials because the SDK is going to fetch the temporary credentials and rotate them for you for that role behind the scenes without you having to do anything. If you're running on EC2, it will get your EC2 credentials with no action required on your part. That's a nifty way to solve that problem because the rotation tended to be the the complexity in uh, credential management and good frequent key rotation is important. So this means you can have maximum rotation and minimum fuss. It, that's exactly right. And I mean, yeah, the EC2 credentials that are provided by a role uh, refresh periodically and the SDK takes care of that for you when it's getting near the expiration time of your last temporary credentials. We will fetch new ones for you and continue to use that. The other nice thing about that is it makes it a lot easier uh, so long as you know that you're running on an EC2 instance with a role to set up your permissions with the principles of least access. So you can start with a blank role. You can add only the exact permissions you need within your application, and it makes it easier for you to go secure by default. And if you need to assume other roles, you can do that as well. Like The, the SDK provides numerous different credential providers depending on what your security needs are. Fantastic. So if we think about... The SDK is providing a really easy on-ramp for a, a native Ruby developer to simply consume all the AWS services in their entirety and do credential management and, of course, region management as well. I know that you and the team haven't stopped there, and there's a bunch of extra things that often developers aren't even aware is is in there because there is so much there. Uh, let's maybe talk about interacting with, with DynamoDB and some of the cool things you've done there. Sure. So one thing that you mentioned before about the usefulness of higher level abstractions, uh, we have taken efforts within the SDKs to try and make every, we call low level client, but really the direct API calls as easy to use as possible. So concepts like pagination of list operations, we help do that for you. And we have other concepts like uh, waiters that help you do long polling that are built directly into the SDK. Other times, it can be useful to have a white glove purpose-built app uh, library to help with your development. And AWS Record is one of the early examples. So the first version of it came in version one of the SDK. And it was essentially something that was roughly analogous to the active record library that comes with 
Ruby on Rails, except backed by DynamoDB. Now, one thing we found as we got a lot of feature requests for this in version two of the SDK was that DynamoDB is a different kind of paradigm than a relational database. And that actually opened up some very interesting, number one, differences in how a library should be written, but also interesting new features that would not make sense in a relational database that we were able to support. So, for example, in the show notes, we'll have links to the documentation. We have the ability to have map attributes that contain essentially arbitrary hash maps within a single record. You can have collection types, set types. DynamoDB has a rich set of different kinds of types you can have in each item in a database that would require multiple tables inside a relational database. Querying and scanning works differently in DynamoDB versus a relational database. And what AWS Record aims to do is to stay idiomatic with DynamoDB idioms. For example, it uses concepts like using update item requests whenever possible rather than put item because if you're using a concept like single table inheritance where the same keys can mean multiple attributes depending on who's looking at it, it's going to prevent you from overwriting attributes that matter to other users of the same item. There's some super powerful abstractions going on there. I mean, that that makes that interaction a lot cleaner, but you're kind of bridging the world of, of Dynamo into, into the Ruby's RM type approach. So Exactly. We, we try to stay as close as possible on a lot of the function names. So the experience is pretty similar. So for a lot of the code you would write, it works roughly the same way. And then you can start to explore the differences as you design your application. And we have all of it documented and we kind of guide you through, here's how you get started. And then as you get more familiar with DynamoDB design patterns, you can actually leverage the advantages that DynamoDB gives you over traditional relational databases. Yeah, that's, that's a good point because there's some, some tricks and approaches you can use with using a NoSQL database that aren't obvious to someone who's only ever used a SQL database and you don't want to kind of miss out on that goodness as well. Speaking of the uh, abstractions, what about some abstractions for frameworks and other abstractions? So you and the team have done some work on the uh, on the SDK specifically for Rails, which is obviously a very common way that people deploy their Ruby apps. Tell us about that. Yeah, we actually, as of this summer, have a couple of offerings that uh, target Ruby on Rails specifically. So one small purpose-built library is what we call AWS SDK Rails. And what that does is it ties in your SDK calls to a few common Ruby on Rails features. So SDK logging can be forwarded on your behalf to your Rails logs. Or you can have Amazon simple email service as an action mail delivery option just by naming it and it will handle how it forms the raw email API requests on your behalf. Uh, If you're a fan of using Rails encrypted credentials for your initializers, uh, for example, maybe you're not running on EC2, or you manage your credentials another way than using IAM roles, and you're using Rails encryption credentials, we we show how you can tie that in with client construction as a setup action. 
So it can really be part of your standard Rails workflow when you're building out an application to just be consuming some of the AWS services as part of that framework. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we also uh, had a project this summer that is in developer preview right now called the AWS Record Generator. So AWS Record gives you a lot of advantages for developing your Ruby on Rails applications using DynamoDB, but you still have to write your models by hand. So it, it got you about halfway to that sort of five-minute blog Rails experience, but not all the way there. So with the AWS Record Generator gem, which you can include in your Rails projects, you get command line generators that will generate these AWS Record model classes and full Rails scaffolding for you so that you can get the same experience of like, I want to do Rails generate model and here are the different attribute names and it will generate the class for you and you can do the same kind of migration and it will create your DynamoDB table or update the status of it to match your needs. That's a very, very handy. Now, um, we've been talking a lot about, I guess, ab abstractions and, and um, some of the high level stuff. And I want to flip it around and go the other way because let's face it, Alex, for most people, software development, certainly for me, is 20% coding, 80% debugging. Uh, how uh, how do uh, how does the SDK help us do the debugging side? So how do we do error handling, back off control, um, Y level debugging? Talk us through some of that. Sure. So one nice thing about the SDK is to begin with, for a first time experience, we retry common retriable errors on your behalf. So if you get a 500 error return from a service, we will retry that for you with exponential backoff. If you get a throttling error, we will retry that with exponential backoff. And we allow you client to client to customize how many retry attempts, uh, what is the backoff scheme. And even because the Ruby SDK uses a plugin model, you could rewrite the entire retry errors plugin if you'd like without uh, touching anything else about the SDK. So we give you reasonable defaults and then a lot of room to customize based on what your needs are. And that back off logic, I think, is, is really important because it's one of the things that's often, I guess, neglected or forgotten about when building distributed systems or, or really any system that calls some other system through an API is you, you need to have logic to cope with the fact that that API may not be available for a short or longer period of time. And conversely, when providing an API, you want your clients to be backing off their requests exponentially, typically, if they're not getting success. Because one of the problems of a, a, an API that goes down briefly then comes up is the thundering herds problem where everyone's trying to hit it at once, which tends to bring the service down again. So this SDK is really, uh, I guess, implementing uh, very strong good practice that you can just get for free without having to rewrite anything, but you're getting all that that goodness and that that correct error handling, aren't you? Well, absolutely. And, and what it goes back to is what we've strived for really across all the SDKs is as much as possible to make the direct API client experience as easy and enjoyable to use as possible. Uh, I write a number of applications internally where I'm a customer of my own SDK, and I find myself usually using the low-level clients more than anything else. 
And one thing you find is that they're actually often quite expressive. Uh, There's sometimes a perception that I believe to be false that you need a higher level abstraction to be productive with a lot of AWS APIs. And they actually tend to be very easy to work with. And you're able to, like the SDK gives you for free a lot of the basic higher level abstraction code that you would otherwise find yourself writing, like the error handling and the pagination. And of course, at the most basic level, even just the building of requests and the uh, parsing of replies that you get from the service. Yeah, it's it's funny how I've had that experience myself where I've actually dove in to do something and being being lazy, haven't read the documentation particularly well, and I've chosen the lowest possible level construct I could have used and then later on go, oh, there was actually a high level abstraction, but this one worked just fine. So, what you know, it's kind of whatever gets you through. Yeah. Well, and what we've tried to find for cases where we do go on to write higher level abstractions that we then ship as offerings is not something where it's just adding a small wrapper over a client call that's actually pretty easy to use. It's actually giving you substantial opinionated experiences in a particular problem space. So something like AWS Record is not just decorating get item and put item calls for you. It's actually crafting like here is a data mapper library experience for you. Mm, so it's really, really giving you that accelerant. This is about really time to value, which is how quick can we go from an idea to something in production? And this is really making that go quicker. Another interesting thing for our listeners is that uh, obviously a lot of developers have been using the AWS Cloud9 service, which is a web-based ID or integrated development environment, so a way of building your code and applications. And this gives you a great way to collaboratively build and develop your applications in the cloud for deployment on the cloud, which kind of sounds interesting. Uh, But one of the nice things is this SDK has really good integration with that environment, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's very simple to get started with using the Ruby SDK on Cloud9 and having that uh, integrated development environment can absolutely be super useful. I've had a good time playing around with it. Yeah, it gets, it gets you up and running fast because uh, I, I think another common developer experience is the day and a half of getting your local environment up and running, <laughs> which uh, Cloud9 seeks to avoid that by simply giving you an individual environment to get going with really quick, which is kind of nice. Well, that's exactly right. And when, when you go back to the example of AWS Record and AWS uh, Record Generator, One thing that we were striving to do there was you take, I'm writing a Rails application and I want to use DynamoDB with client libraries. And there was a lot to write. Like you could figure it out. The APIs are quite easy to work with, but it would take you, you know, it it, it takes you a few hours to get set up and to get it in a rolling state where you're iterating as quickly as you would with anything else. And then AWS record, we were able to get that down to once you know the library and once you know where to put a few configuration files, it works about as well. You can be up and running in under an hour. And now with AWS Record Generator, the example that we're running with now is the five-minute blog, where you start with absolutely nothing and you have a blog-type website in the name of the Rails 15-minute blog up and running in about five minutes. So Striving to make it as easy to get started as possible is definitely something that we're always trying to do. 
That's a that's a good thing, and a lot of that I know has come from from customer feedback. And as with all of our services, we drive a lot of what we do based on what customers tell us they need and want. And I, I guess for you, Alex, one of the beauty beautiful parts is that you're working with a community that is passionate and vociferous and interested in in Ruby and what it can do. So, how do customers give give the team feedback? How do they contribute? Because this is also on uh, on GitHub, isn't it? Absolutely. So we have all these repositories that we talked about are on GitHub and we would love to hear any issues you're having or feature requests that you have. And you can find uh, the Ruby SDK team. You can find us on Twitter. You can reach out to me directly if you have questions or feedback. And I'm always, my, my door is always open to hear that because uh, a, a lot of these features do actually come from user feedback. And, you know, someone says, like, hey, I would love to have the same command line generator experience. And, you know, that led to us eventually saying, like, all right, we're going to we're going to take the time to do that and do that right. For sure. And I think uh, you and I were talking a little bit early before we started to record because I was I was sharing with you my experiences of using SDK back in the, the deep, dark days. And uh, and you were saying that one of the biggest things you find with with developers is they just haven't looked at it lately in terms of some of the extra stuff it does. So it sounds like. If you're a listener who is developing in Ruby, you should probably take a moment to revisit the SDK and see all the good new stuff it's got. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And any last uh, tips or tricks you wanted to share with us? Absolutely. So we'll have this in the show notes, but I've given a couple of workshops about how you get your first application deployed on AWS. And one thing that I've found is just taking that first step deploying some real working code on AWS, once you've taken that very first step, it gets so much easier just to iterate and try like any service you like. Like once you've done that initial step, you have a Rails application and it's running on EC2. You have a DynamoDB or RDS database and you've done that initial setup. Anything from, okay, now I'm backing up all my logs to S3 and running Athena queries on it, or I'm doing live kinesis analysis of every API request my Rails app is getting and doing live alarms and live notifications. Like Once you've done that initial first step, it gets so easy to play around and try out a bunch of things. So the biggest advice I would have is just find a tutorial, get something deployed, and play around because it can be a lot of fun and you can learn a lot in a really short amount of time. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how much you learn by doing. So we'll definitely include those links in the show notes so you can click on them and uh, uh, follow Alex along in terms of how to get going. Hey, Alex, thanks so much for coming on and sharing uh, this information with us. And we're definitely going to have you back to talk about some of the other SDKs we have as well. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. Please tell one other person that the podcast is out there. It's amazing how many people don't know and love to find out. And until next time, keep on building.